0: You've reached the Every Little Thing helpline. Please leave your message after the tone.
1: Hi, ELT. My name is Jake. Um, I would just like to know if I could bury a body in my yard legally. I don't mean in any sort of nefarious way, but I'm from rural Illinois, And we were driving back from my parents' house, and we noticed that there was a small cemetery out in the middle of some farmer's land. And they're all over down here. So I I was just wondering, like, where's the line there? If you can help me out with that, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Bye.
2: Hello? Hi, Jake. This is Jorge from Every Living Thing.
1: (laughs) Hi, Jorge. Every Living Thing.
2: (laughs) Yep. Fleur's back later in the month. So until then, I'm her body double.
1: All right, sounds good.
2: Okay, before we get started, I have to ask you a couple questions. Do you have a lawyer present?
1: I do not, but um, if I need to get one here, I can can arrange it. Do you have a body present? I think I would like my lawyer present before I answer that question.
2: I'm going to take that as a no. (laughs) So you said in your voicemail you were driving through rural Illinois.
1: Who are you with? My wife and my two kids.
2: Okay, so the whole family, you're on a family
1: drive. We didn't have a body in the trunk or anything like that. It was just the family at the time. <laughs> it was a summer day and we were just, we're driving home. So we were... Top down? No, no, uh, minivan. huh. I'm, I'm at that point in my life. <laughs> so we're driving up uh, just this rural route and I see a cemetery off in the distance. What did it look like? I mean, it's surrounded by trees and I could tell that there were gravestones there and... That's that's about it. It didn't look like there were any roads that led to it.
2: How many graves would you say?
1: Oh, I don't know. Maybe a dozen. Honestly, I've seen them a million times down here, and I never really thought about it. But I just for some reason that day, something struck a chord, and I was like, can I just bury somebody in my backyard? I actually <laughs> said that out loud. And my wife's like, no, why would you be able to do that? And I thought, well, I, there's a cemetery there, and that's obviously somebody's backyard. It's in the middle of their cornfield.
2: So what do you want to know about this zombie breeding ground?
1: I guess I want to know who owns it. Is it owned by like the farmers who own that field? And can I just bury a body in my backyard? Could I be laid to rest there?
2: On your own property.
1: On my own property, which is not large at all.
2: (laughs) But it's it's large enough.
1: I'd be under a swing set. That's about it.
2: (laughs) It's more than five feet, 11 inches long or whatever it needs to be.
1: Right. But, you know, six feet deep.
2: Well, you will be happy to know that we dug up someone who has the answers. Great. His name is Hal Hassan. Hi, Jake. Hi, Hal. So Hal's an archaeologist. He's retired now, but he worked for the Illinois Department of Natural Resources for 25 years.
1: Oh, my neck of the woods.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Hal's been skulking around graveyards since he was a kid.
3: I was always intrigued by being in the burial grounds, seeing the, the headstones, but also just the concept that there were all these... Dead people underneath me.
2: So, as a grown up, alive person, part of Hal's job was studying and documenting burial grounds. And it's not just them bones he'd looked at, it's also stuff like what the headstones are made of and the way the grounds were designed.
3: Burial grounds provide information that is not available from any place else.
2: Basically, Hal thinks cemeteries are little museums if you just know how to look at them.
3: If you're interested in history, Look at the death dates and birth dates. If you're interested in art, look at the various motifs that are on the grave markers. If if you have a geologic interest, see what the markers are actually made of. I am so into this right now.
1: It's probably disturbing. But I mean, if hell's into it, then I guess it's okay.
2: (laughs) I think we're still in the uh, it's okay level. There is one thing I want to note though, which is that there are thousands of Native American burial grounds all across Illinois. But Hal says the kind of graveyard that you called about, those started showing up in the 1800s when the colonizers arrived. And Hal actually knows about the exact graveyard you saw. It's called Trumbo Cemetery.
3: It's a nice cemetery. The burials, some of them go back to the 1840s. Oh, really? Wow. Most likely, it is a family burial ground. Uh, it, It started out with one person, and it's on the land that they're probably farming. It then becomes a little larger because there are now extended family members that might be buried there. And there may be people buried there who don't own land, but know the landowner who owns the burial ground.
2: And that seems to be what happened at Trumbo. One of the graves there belongs to the guy who owned that land, Matthias Trumbo. And his obituary says that he was buried in a small graveyard on his farm and that a portion of the town also used it to bury their own people.
1: So at some point he was like, you know what, let's put a cemetery in my property and eventually I'll be buried there as well.
3: Right. I think it's like 55 documented burials there. 55? I'm
1: I'm blown away. I thought there was maybe a dozen.
2: Yeah, and basically those are just the ones we know about. There's probably more.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, that's... (laughs) Very creepy.
2: Sometimes someone would be buried without a grave marker. Other times there used to be a grave marker, but then it got upcycled or repurposed, given new life, resurrected.
3: (laughs) In many cases, the landowner may get a little tired of working around that burial ground because without the grave markers, you can get farm equipment in and you could plant corn. And at some point in time, those above-ground markers disappear.
2: What do you mean disappear?
3: I've seen grave markers being thrown into creeks. I've seen grave markers be used as patios. Uh, I've seen grave markers line driveways. You see some strange things.
1: Right. So I need a piece of stone, and you know what? I got a whole bunch in the backyard. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He's not using it anymore.
2: (laughs) No, but without the headstones, the people that are rotten can get forgotten.
3: Over time, people will just forget that there's a burial ground there. And maybe the land gets sold three, four, five times over the next 20 years. And a lot of times people don't know that they own a burial ground. It wasn't in the brochure.
1: So I can already have a burial ground in my backyard and I don't know about it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, that is something I didn't consider.
2: If you do end up finding a body under the begonias, you're required to call the county coroner. And then, depending on how long the bones have been there, you might end up talking to someone like Hal.
3: When I used to go out and we would consult with landowners about the burial grounds, he'd say, well, it's out here, but we don't know who owns it. And I'd, I'd say, you do. You own it. Unless you can show that the deed carved out the cemetery, then you own it. It was transferred when the land was sold. This is... Literally the plot of horror movies. (laughs) We had a a coal mine project, and there was a small burial ground on the edge of where they were going to put what's called a gob pile, which is where the waste goes. And I said, you know, since you're going to put all this gob stuff on top of this cornfield, I want to know what's underneath the cornfield. We stripped it off and we found 200 graves.
2: And what was that burial ground?
3: Uh, It was a burial ground for a town nearby. It just got forgotten. Over time, they assumed that what was on the surface, those maybe 25 markers, that that was the burial ground. And then we very carefully excavated them. We moved them, according to the law, another commercial burial ground. That's just wild. And knowing that like 30 years ago,
1: my house was a cornfield.
2: I'd go with the above ground pool, Jake.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be the safe bet. What do they All
2: right. So for the colonizers living and dying in wide open spaces in the 1800s, burying grandma or grandpa next to your cornfield made a lot of sense, but not so much in populated
3: places. When you start to get larger communities, a town or a city, there's obviously a lot of people who don't own land and they need to be buried somewhere.
2: And that's becoming a problem in the big cities on the East Coast. Urban populations are booming and small graveyards are filling up. Bodies just piled on top of each other. It's gross.
3: Some people are becoming disenchanted with city life. Crime, disease, poverty, and a lot of people assign the blame to the burial grounds. The burial grounds are giving up these gases that are not healthy for us to breathe.
2: They smelled terribly, and people were worried that they're causing public health problems like yellow fever outbreaks. Honestly, not the kind of place you'd want to go just to see your dead uncle fester.
3: And so some civic leaders decide we should move the burial grounds to the outskirts of the city and establish what they call a park-like setting. So they may manipulate the landscape, plant trees, make hills. And so it really is a park-like setting. And they encourage people to go there and have a picnic. But no one
2: wants to bring a picnic basket to a burial ground. These places needed a new name. So a word that was common in the 1400s gets brought back into use.
3: Cemetery comes from the Greek word meaning dormitory. And what do you do in a dormitory? You sleep. And so you're at rest. You're not dead.
2: Mm -hmm. Death is no longer scary. It's no longer smelly. It's relaxing.
3: Go
1: have a picnic.
2: Right, yeah. And soon everybody wants in on this new and improved process for moldering away in the cold, hard ground. And the idea spreads like your great-uncle's ashes on a blustery day.
3: Right. As the people travel. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And die. (laughs) People here go out east for whatever the reason. They come back and go, hey, I just saw this cemetery, and so we should do that, something like that. Because that's the new fashion, if you will.
2: And you can't have a new fashion without a new cash-in. And so entrepreneurs set up for-profit cemeteries and start pitching the bereaved.
3: This is the thing to do. It's what they're doing out east. Places in... The East Coast have large cemeteries, they're beautiful, and and this is what Americans are doing now.
2: Salesmen might try and talk you into an upgrade.
3: They would try to encourage people to move people off the farm. If you have some family members buried out on the farm, we'll give you a discount. I mean, it sounds like a deal to me.
2: Burying your loved ones used to involve basically just a little sweat and elbow grease, and now it's cold hard cash.
3: Now we're paying somebody. Not just to dig the hole, but to prepare the body, morticians, undertakers. We take death out of the household and we move it to strangers.
2: So dealing with the dead has become a business. And it turns out that dealing with dead relatives seems to be a task people are eager to outsource.
3: (laughs) If I'm living in a farm in 1845, I'm burying grandpa. If I'm living on a farm in 1865, I may not be burying grandpa. How did everyone sort
2: of hop on that trend so fast?
3: If your relatives or friends are doing it, you're going to do it if you can afford it. you got to have what's new. It's really no different than the line of people that are outside the store once Apple announces the new iPhone.
2: But that feels like an incredible shift very, very fast.
3: It It is. And you can see it out on the landscape. It's it's not just a shift in how grandpa is going from point A to point B, but in how you're marking it. Hmm, okay.
2: Right. So until now, grave markers in your neck of the woods were made from local materials like sandstone, limestone, sometimes wood.
3: When you have a sandstone marker being carved in the eighteen twenties, thirties, or forties, you have a local craftsman carving it with his own style of how he wants the fonts to look. How what kind of image he might Draw on there. There can be all kinds of images. Most of them abstract, if you will.
2: These carvers, you know, they're just local artisans, so they'll, they'll have their own. Uh, they're like folk
1: art, right? And like any artist, I'm sure you can tell. Oh, that's a, that's one of Joe's, right? I recognize that anywhere.
2: Yeah, exactly. And how says all that unique folk arty stuff with burials? It just goes away.
3: It's like someone threw a switch overnight. The sandstone markers basically disappear.
2: And that's because a trendy new stone rolls in from the east. Any guesses? Uh, That's granite? It is marble. Marble.
1: That would have been my second guess.
2: (laughs) The introduction of marble only comes after a new technology. Chugga-chugga-chugga changes everything.
3: Once the railroad comes in to Illinois, you're able to ship marble, which is heavy. It's 150 pounds a cubic foot. You're able to ship marble out of Vermont, into Illinois, which is going to be used in the cemeteries.
2: Marble wasn't even necessarily better. It wasn't longer lasting or more durable. It was just shiny and new. But it didn't matter. People were coffining up money to get these headstones. <laughs>
3: By the 1860s, there's very little variation in the gray markers. It's sort of like going in into McDonald's. They all look the same.
2: I'm going to send you an ad that shows what Hal's talking about. It's an ad for a headstone catalog that you send off for. And we'll put it on Instagram, too. Oh, yeah. Can you describe it for me?
1: It looks very modern. It it looks like something that I would see in a newspaper or in the back of an 80s comic book. Not 1860s. Yeah. The ad shows five different uh, markers, and the cheapest one is $9. It says... Send for this beautiful catalog of monuments and markers. Our prices are low. And there's a picture of the catalog with an arrow that says free.
2: And the catalog seems to be like rising from...
1: Yeah, the the catalog looks like it's it's floating up out of the grave.
2: <laughs> Sending into heaven from the $9 <laughs> tombstone.
1: <laughs> right. I want a poster of this <laughs> to hang on my wall.
2: <laughs> I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> One of these fake tombstones has Tate on it. One of them has Hill. I'll see if we can get photoshopped for, I don't know, Jake and Jorge. Yeah,
1: that would be great. So we're going to be buried together? (laughs) I'm okay with that. I'll have to ask my wife, but I don't think she'll mind.
2: Basically, in the span of 20 years, dealing with death went from scrabbling around in the dirty, dirty ground to flipping through the pages of a catalog.
1: And we've just stuck with it.
2: We've basically been commercializing this for 150 years.
1: I'm just blown away by that. I, I thought it was more recent.
2: Let's get to the question you first reposed to us.
1: Yeah. So, Jorge, can I bury a body in my backyard?
2: You want to chuck Uncle Chuck out back and save some bucks? (laughs) I'm going to give you the answer after the break.
1: I knew that was coming.
2: So nowadays there's tons of options, all kinds of cemeteries and headstones, but also, you know, cremation, donation. You can even pay to have ashes sent to space if you want to shuffle off this mortal soil once you've shuffled off this mortal coil. That sounds fun. (laughs) But let's say you're a real, like back to earth DI die type, and you want to send a loved one to their eternal repose in your actual subdivision, like somewhere behind your town home on Excelsior Grand Avenue, or whatever your street's called.
3: Yeah. Can you do it? If you want to bury somebody on your property, and we'll assume that you don't live in the middle of downtown New York, there is no law prohibiting that. I, I am,
1: I am shocked. That is not the answer that I was expecting.
2: So, except for California, Indiana, and Washington, forty-seven states in the U.S. will let you bury any old geezer below the gazebo, as long as they're dead.
1: That's a uh, cadaver caveat, right? <laughs> Do I need permission to do it or like let somebody know I'm doing it or just just do it?
3: There is a law that requires you to work with a licensed funeral director that will secure the death certificate and will give you a permit allowing you to move a dead body. And then you have to just check with the local zoning to make sure they're okay with it. I would
1: imagine my local zoners would not be okay with that.
2: You don't have to imagine. Because we called your local zoning officer. I said, oh. <laughs> uh, her name is uh, Sonia Apt. Right away, she you know she picked up the phone. We asked, and she was she told us, "What the f- kind of sick question is this?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, she didn't. That that was me. That was me in our in a, in the meeting about whether we should do this show. Uh, <laughs> by contrast, Sonia was like very 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 professional. She told us that you need a special use permit uh, if you want to turn your grassy knoll into a body hole.
0: So that does require a public hearing before our Planning and Zoning Commission um, and then ultimately approval by the village board. And they would pass an ordinance allowing that use on, on that property.
2: Basically a similar process to applying for a liquor license or building an unusually tall fence.
0: Okay. He'd probably have to provide, you know, apply of survey and indicate where he wanted to, to do this burial, you know, and it would have to go through that public hearing process, which does also mean that the neighbors have to be notified
1: Luckily I only have one neighbor. <laughs> any any beefs? No, no, we're on we're on good terms. And uh we have a fence between our properties, so if zombies or anything like that happen, they should be protected.
2: So you don't have to bury the hatchet. <laughs> right. Before you knock on the door and say, Remember Uncle Joe? Yep, nope. Um you met him at the, last year's barbecue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, now he's here forever.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna bury him under the barbecue. <laughs> Okay, so an under-the-barbecue burial is totally possible under state and local law, but actually make it a lot harder once you go up against big government, like your homeowners association.
1: Yeah, I think that would be my biggest hurdle.
2: Have you have you tried? Have you asked?
1: I I have not, but I'm I'm friendly with a couple guys on the board, so I will I will definitely ask that question.
2: <laughs> I think you're about to find out just how friendly you really are with them. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna start coming out and measuring how. Huh? <laughs> How tall your grass is. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call your cemetery if you had
1: one? How about just a cemetery?
2: A cemetery, nice.
1: First in the phone book?
2: <laughs> First in heaven. <laughs> I like it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think a cemetery is the way to go. I, I don't want to say AAA because it's not real fancy. I mean, We've got a swing set back there.
2: <laughs> well, if you do decide to DIY when you D.I.E., just remember it's not easy to relocate a cemetery. And it can hurt the resale value of your house.
1: Right. I need a very specific buyer. This house has four bedrooms, three bathrooms, also a cemetery.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, the septic's just been replaced. <laughs> it got a new roof 10 years ago.
1: Great fertilizer in the backyard.
2: Yeah. Your
1: body will haunt that house forever. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's my body. Then I, don't, I don't really care.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could be buried with your with two middle fingers stuck <laughs> up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I are getting buried together, right? That's right. Yeah. We don't care about anything then. <laughs> Four middle fingers pointing up.
2: <laughs> exactly. I just want to. I just want to be in eternal repose. The <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeak sound of that swing set <laughs>
1: <laughs> doesn't
2: seem that complicated, right? No,
1: it doesn't seem complicated. Just. Um... Just some hoops, but, you know, I was expecting a flat-out no.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's not like a walk in the memorial park, but doable.
1: Right. Not a picnic in the cemetery. (laughs) All right, well, let's start it. Me and you in my backyard. Okay. Uh,
2: I was hoping to die of of old age, but whatever you say, (laughs) (laughs) A and J.J. Cemetery. (laughs) I'm good with that. Okay, ELT family, a little while ago, we got a call from a listener in love.
0: Hi, Flora. This is Sarah. I have a factual emergency, so I fell in love. And I'm sure it pertains to hetero relationships, (laughs) lesbians, lesbian. Lesbian. (laughs) Anyway, so I grew up in Georgia, um, very close to UGA, and I am a Georgia Bulldog fan. So, aga. But then I move up to St. Louis and I meet a Bama fan. Growing up in Georgia, I have always hated Bama. It's embedded in my soul to hate Bama. I don't know how to explain it. All of a sudden, I I'm okay with wearing Crimson. I'm okay with wearing Houndstooth. I'll do anything for this girl. This is fascinating to me. I grew up in Georgia. I mean like literally Moved out of Georgia at 20 years old, and then all of a sudden, at 27, I'm, I'm down to wear the crimson. What's going on here? Is love really that powerful? Help. And also, she makes me wear crimson, all that a lot. So, I don't know. Anyway, love your show. Help.
2: So, what do you think? Did Sarah's story ring a bell? Make you laugh? Or did it slam you square in the chest with the hollow thud of shameful self-recognition? <laughs> I mean, It's okay if it did. I mean, we all come down to the case of Cupid's stupids every now and again. Usually it's something mildly embarrassing, like reading most of Infinite Jest because some dumb boy thinks it's the best thing ever. Or, you know, growing a mustache. But on occasion, love makes us do truly bewildering things. And those are the stories we want to hear. Did you move to another country because of some brand new crush? Call the hotline. Did you change your major or your hair or your religion? Call the hotline and pour your heart out. Tell us the things you've done and maybe wish you hadn't in the name of love. We already have our sports story, but anything else is fair game, just as long as it's about you. Call us, 833-RING-ELT. That number again is 833-RING-ELT. Every Little Thing is produced by Jahi Whitehead, Hadley Robinson, Stephanie Werner, Phoebe Flanagan, Annette Heist, Jorge Just, and Flora Lichtman. With help from Nicole Pasulka and Doug Barron. Edited by Caitlin Kenny, Scored by Dara Hirsch, Billy Libby, and Bobby Lord. Mixed by Dara Hirsch. Every Little Thing is a Gimlet production and a Spotify original podcast. Bury me under the
1: gob pile.
2: Goodbye.